Surprise! Happy birthday, everybody. You're listening to the Professional Horror Podcast, the podcast that only comes out on your birthday. I am your host, Chris Donovan, and you might be asking yourself, why is it a birthday episode of this podcast? If you're keeping track of this podcast, this is not the birthday of the podcast, so what gives? Well, it's a very special day today, if I edit on time, because it's my birthday, your host, Chris Donovan. And not only that, it's also the birthday of my guest this week. Alex, how you doing, man? Happy birthday! Happy birthday to you too, Chris. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, man. This is great. This is a, a special day. Well, it's not yet, but I'm releasing it on our birthday, so hopefully it'll be nice and cool. So yeah, how are you doing today? Great, great. Just wrapping up the weekend, you know, some comics. What about you? Working, sleeping this weekend, and reading when I when I have a shot. I just finished the new Fear Street book by R.L. Stein. It was pretty good. I liked it. So whenever we have a new guest on this show, I like to start things off with a segment I call First Blood. This is where we get to know the person that we have on the show. You get to see what lens we view horror through. So we're going to find out our guest's favorite horror movie and favorite sub-genre of horror movies. And if this is your first time, give me mine right quick. My favorite horror movie of all time is 1984's A Nightmare on Elm Street. And my favorite sub-genres are slashers and creature features. So Alex, what you got for me? Favorite horror movie, favorite sub-genre? What you got? So favorite horror movie, it's actually, I can't pick out of, well, I guess I can. It'd be the first Saw movie. Love the Saw series in general. And the first one, I just, I love the twist. I thought it was one of the greatest twists I've ever seen in a movie in general. You know, people kind of play off the Saw movies as just being like, just plain torture porn. And to be fair, it does kind of delve into that. But I, I love the plot twist. I love just how they weave the story through eight movies. I like that it's very story driven. Yeah, the gore is in there, but I, I just, I don't know, I'm, I'm really impressed at how they were able to do some of the twists, how they were just keep able to intertwine like so many characters and like eight movies together. What about your uh, subgenre? Subgenre, if there is one along these lines, I guess it'd be like. This is going to sound weird, but I guess like claustrophobia, like not only the Saw movie, like the first one where they're trapped in the bathroom, but like, have you ever seen Cube? No, but I do know about Cube. Yeah, I've heard of it. Like when you're like, kind of when you're like stuck in like a certain area, like just because it's not just like about being scared with like jump scares, but like Mm -hmm. that feeling of you being stuck somewhere and like having to escape. Yeah, I forget how long ago it was. It might have been a couple years at this point, but the first thing you said when I thought of that was this movie called Pet that came out a few years ago. It's really intense. So the premise of Pet is this one guy kidnaps a woman and it's horrible it's like you know violence against women kind of thing and literally locks her in a cage in the basement of like this i want to say pet shelter might have been a veterinarian's office something like that it's like she won't pay him any attention she won't like respond to his advances but then because she's such a crazy interesting character she even though she's locked in a cage takes total control of the situation and it's like you might you might be into that because that's slightly like claustrophobic but it's also like really psychologically thrilling i was pretty into that surprisingly i think i have it came out not that long ago if it's the one i'm thinking of and it had uh he played one of the hobbits in lord of the rings and i'm just drawing a blank yeah dominique moynihan yeah yep yeah okay yeah, I have heard of that. I think that's actually on my list to to watch. But yeah, was, just yeah. from you know the poster and reading the synopsis, it was kind of like okay, this would be on my alley. Yeah, urban, but that's the one thing I thought of when you was when you were describing that because like there's one scene where he's like trying to be like I'm in charge here, and she just like smashes her own head off the cage bars, and she's like, no, I'm in charge. And I was like, this movie's taking me places I did not expect to go. <laughs> she literally has all the power in this situation, and she's locked in a literally like a dog cage. So creepy be so weird i don't know why i instantly jumped to that film but, but yeah that's I like, cool i like that though that kind of like 
just changes your perception, kind of like Better Watch Out. Oh, I love Better Watch Out. <laughs> I loved it. I got to see that at a film festival in Philly, and I was just like, it was in June, so it was kind of funny watching a Christmas movie in June. But I was like, this is a joy, and I'm having fun. <laughs> another movie i will say this to you and to everyone every one of our listeners watching if you have shutter another film i saw at that festival which i have not heard anyone else talk about found footage 3d so good that's actual title found footage 3d found footage 3d scream is to halloween as found footage 3d is to the blair witch project okay it's i got the, it yeah it's the meta winky version of the blair witch project I get what you're saying. And the whole the whole reason is this guy, like this one guy is like a really kind of diva actor is like, I have an idea. We're going to film the first ever found footage movie in 3D. And they're all just like, how, how, why? And he's like, we're doing it. It's in a script now. I'm writing a script. And he's <laughs> like, oh, Yo, it was so good. It was so funny. Oh, that's my list. <laughs> Anywho, that's not the film we're talking about today, though. <laughs> we're talking about what is one of my all-time favorite movies. Honestly, if I had to rank them, I think I've ranked it before on this podcast, but it's sitting comfortably in the number three spot behind Nightmare on Elm Street and Aliens. We're talking about Cabin in the Woods, the 2012 film directed by Drew Goddard and written by Drew Goddard and Josh Joss Whedon. <laughs> you want to say Josh because that's like yeah. how that's how names work. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently not for him. So so Cabin in the Woods is sporting a 7 out of 10 rating on IMDb, 92% approval on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 72% approval on Metacritic. So pretty good, pretty good. It's similar actually in the vein, well, I was just talking about with Found Footage 3D, where it is the meta winky version of... Of, I would say probably The Evil Dead because mm-hmm. it's a complete dissection of horror movies, especially because like The Cabin in the Woods is like the most generic horror title you can even come up with. Yeah. I cannot count for you how many movies I have seen that take place in A Cabin in the Woods. There's just no end to them. Some of them are good. A lot of them are cheap, made for 20 bucks and shipped out, you know, on the Google Play Store or in the $5 bin at Walmart. You know, I love them all the same. I like it for me. It just like this is a really recent movie, but when I think of Cabin in the Woods, I think of Tucker and Dale, yep. which is another movie like that. That's kind of like the not a parody, but kind of like, hey, we're going to do this like in a funny way, like the whole like cannibalistic hillbilly thing. Yeah, I have the DVD for Tucker and Dale, but I haven't seen it yet. It's one of my many movies that I own and haven't watched. You need to. It's yeah. it's very enjoyable. I've heard nothing but good things about it. It's funny, too, because I was just listening last night to one of my podcasts that I listen to all the time and I love to pieces is A Nightmare on Film Street. One of their main series of episodes is to do verses or head-to-heads. So they'll have a topic of like, well, let's talk about feminism and horror movies and we'll talk about your next versus The Descent or something like that. The one I listened to last night, the one where it was Tucker and Dale versus Evil versus Cabin in the Woods as far as meta horror. Mm-hmm. And I didn't listen to their Tucker and Dale part because I haven't seen it and I don't want to be spoiled. <laughs> but they had glowing things to say about it. So I will definitely be checking it out soon. So the opening scene of Cabin in the Woods takes place in a just like really sterile, very clean, it looks like office building or facility or something. And I read on IMDb, there's a trivia where the, well, there's a piece of trivia that says Josh Whedon wanted that scene in there so that he could try and confuse people who thought they might've walked into the wrong movie. Like he wanted people to sit there and be like, where's my Cabin in the Woods horror movie? Who are these guys? Why are we here? We have our first two characters, Citizen and Hadley, played by Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford, respectively. They're two of our really acclaimed actors in this piece. And they're having just this really mundane conversation about one of them's trying to have a kid. And, and they're like, oh, my wife has childproofed all the cabinets. I can't even get a glass of beer anymore or a uh, 
one can't appear anymore. I love that it was just like the cheesiest jump scare title card of all time. It was just like two guys talking about, I'm going to get my power tools out, I'm going to fix my cabinets, you want to help me? Are you even listening? Boom, cabin in the woods. You're like, oh God. It was just, it was so surreal, but it was like, okay, that's one way to start a movie. Citizen and Hadley, their just witty banter and they're just like back and forth are just one of the my favorite parts of the movie. That's just so fun and different. And it's just so nonchalant despite what they're doing for their jobs. And they got the perfect actors for them too. The dad oh, yeah. from Step Brothers and yeah. the from Billy Madison and Get Out. Yeah. I've had a few jobs that are kind of messed up where it's like, it doesn't matter how messed up your job is. If you do it for a living, you'll get used to it. Yep. And they've just gotten totally used to this horrifying thing that they've done. And it's just really funny to watch. Because like lots of people have jobs where if you think about it, maybe not doing something directly as evil as these two, but you know, a lot of people work for corporation stuff that do horrible things. And we kind of are still obsessed with our own mundane little things that are going on in our lives. So I feel like that really like resonates. Absolutely. The only th- important things in that situation is that we hear rumblings of things like Stockholm just went south. It's just us in Japan. Oh, well, Japan is perfect record. Don't worry about it. And we're number two, so don't. that's fine. And we don't know what that's referring to, but that'll be clear later in the movie. And we jump to our much more generic horror movie opening where it's five college students. Dana, Holden, Marty, Jules, and Kurt, played by Kristen Connolly, Jesse Williams, Fran Kranz, Anna Hutchinson, and Chris Hemsworth, respectively. It's weird because this is supposed to be, you know, your cheesy horror movie, but I actually really like almost all of these characters. They're all so interesting and they have, like, fun moments with each other. Like, even without all the facility stuff, I feel like this would still be entertaining. Yeah. Which is crazy to think about when, especially, like, how deep and how much a part of the movie the facility stuff is. Yeah, even before, I don't want to jump ahead, but there is a scene where there's a lot of focus on the facility Mm -hmm. that's like the last third of the movie. And I know what you're saying, like before then, like just seeing the focusing on the teens themselves was, it was fun. It was kind of playing against the stereotypes. Like playing against stereotypes, but still felt genuine. Like nothing was forced. It just felt like, okay, these are, this is actually like how a group of college kids would be like. Yeah, like I love how Kurt, who's supposed to be the jock, you know, he's Chris Hemsworth. He's this, you know, gorgeous hunk of a man is also still really insightful and knowledgeable about, you know, different college things. That's that interaction has with his girlfriend where she's like he has the books and he's like who told you about these she's like i learned about them from you it made me laugh so hard like i said if that were the first scene and i just thought it was going to be a regular cabin in the woods movie i'd still be into it i'd be like cool let's get let's do this Mm -hmm. after the first four meetup we see marty afterwards and he's the stoner bro of the film and he literally pulls up smoking a giant bong in his car and when he gets out he locks his his car but doesn't roll up the window <laughs> and his bong collapses into a coffee bong. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. He definitely becomes the favorite of the whole movie. Oh, yeah. At least for me. One bit of trivia I thought was absolutely insane to think about was Fran Kranz, the guy who plays Marty. He received extensive training on how to roll joints and light bongs and stuff from expert consultants, I was told. <laughs> All of this stuff that he did, like he wasn't an expert in, but it doesn't, you can't tell he's on it. The whole movie, he plays the absolute epitome of the stoner bro in a horror movie. And what's funny about that and like the whole playing against stereotypes thing, I read something else in the trivia. Apparently the actor is like jacked. Yeah. So they had to like dress him up like in like 
larger clothes to make him look like kind of lanky because they didn't want him upstaging someone like Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Who like, wasn't the, uh, big Thor yet. Yeah. Like in the swimming scene, like he just stays on shore with his shirt on and it, it, it works for his character to be like, nah, nah, I'm just going to stay out here and yeah. smoke some more. But the reality of that was they didn't want him to be absolutely jacked next to the two people who are supposed to be our, you know, our jocks, our athletes, you know, the quarterback and the wide receiver of the college football team kind of thing. That would have been pretty funny, though, to have like the stoner be like the toughest one out of all of them, like the most built. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the prop crew even designed the film's own brand of rolling papers, which is, I think, crazy. They went very far to create this stoner bro character. I'm, I'm happy they did. did. The second they leave in the RV, they say they're going to Kurt's cousin bought a uh, cottage out in the woods. So they're going to go check it out. The second they leave that RV, they're constantly under they're under surveillance. Like people know where they are. There's even that scene where they're talking about, oh, isn't it great that we're going to go for a weekend where no one can globally position my ass while they're being tracked like every <laughs> step of the way. Like they cannot escape this positioning. And they meet they go to the gas station to, to meet the harbinger of this movie. This movie is a lot of the elements are of your basic car movie, but they're just like distilled to perfection. The harbinger is like that. He is the perfect harbinger <laughs> just like, great and just like his whole scene is great like him just showing up out of nowhere him just being sassy then marty throwing it back in his face yeah. then him calling jules a whore like it's the whole scene is just brilliant that back and forth they have that i love so much where he's like been here since the war which war you know damn well which war and marty's like would that perhaps be with the men in blue some in gray brother perhaps fighting against brother in that one <laughs> Oh, it's so good. You sassy me, boy. And what I love is later on, he calls facility people to be like, yup, I, I sent them on their way. They have no idea what's about to happen to them. That's a scene that's great because it works on multiple levels. One, it's funny because they have him on speakerphone and they don't know. And there's that line where he's like, I don't even, I don't know who's in the room. I don't know who I'm talking to. <laughs> Just breaks character. <laughs> yeah, he totally breaks character. But what's great is he also acts as a harbinger for the facility people. He works on two levels because mm-hmm. he warns the kids on their way to the cabin that they're all going to die. And he also warns the facility people, hey, don't mess this up. Otherwise, we're all dead. We're all dead. So it's brilliant. I just love that he's doing his like really evil like the lambs have been led to the slaughter they know not of what awaits them but my on speakerphone <laughs> i don't know who's in the room that's rude oh i wish man. we could see more of him yeah he's fantastic so, like like i said that's a that's a scene where even if it wasn't this whole facility thing i'd be like this movie is great so far there's five characters i care about most of them already because they're fun and interesting and have witty banter and the harbinger was really cool and really scary so i'm into this movie so they arrive at the cabin which looks like the spitting image of the evil dead cabin there's one thing i wanted to comment on though it's like literally right before they reach the cabin it's when they're going through the tunnel and you Mm -hmm. see the shot over the canyon and the bird flies into the barrier which kind of foreshadowed like something's gonna happen but i kind of wish that wasn't revealed right away for obvious reasons later on which we can discuss Mm -hmm. but that definitely kind of gives you it definitely like lets you know like it's kind of like a reminder like hey this isn't going to be like a normal trip like like you said earlier like they're being the kids are being tracked the entire way like nothing they're doing is unplanned or off the grid so it's kind of like a reminder but yeah 
I'll speak later about how I, yeah. I was kind of 50-50 on that scene. I'm I'm in two minds about that because I've heard both sides and I kind of agree with both sides where some people say that's kind of giving away a really crazy, scary, and intense scene later. But I'm also in the other mind of if you don't introduce it earlier, it'll seem like it's coming out of nowhere. And one thing I was taught when I was training to be a screenwriter is that coincidence works in the first act of movies. It does not work in the third act of movies. Coincidence is fine to get someone into shenanigans, but it is terrible to get them out. And I feel like, granted, I wouldn't get them out of the situation, but at the same time, I feel like that could be something where that could seem like out of nowhere if they didn't reference it ahead of time so i'm in two minds about that scene that's fair enough yeah but the cabin they get to is literally like i said the spitting image of like the evil dead cabin more so even the remake evil dead cabin looks like the same exact one they all pick their rooms they find one mirror which is not a mirror it's a like interrogation room mirror Mm -hmm. the two-way mirror and that's used to do some kind of cute romantic bantering between um holden and yeah dana uh, dana I like Dana. She's she's a really cool protagonist. I didn't. I think Holden is the only one out of the five where I'm kind of like, eh. Yeah, he was. I don't know. You know, I'm still unsure about him. I, th- I think he was just kind of bland. Yeah, I forget if they mention in the movie why there was a two way mirror. No, that's the one thing I was just going to bring up. They didn't mention why. The only thing is Marty's joke. Well, back in the olden days, people had to make their own interrogation rooms, and that's just kind of how it ends. I don't think there's a real reason for it at all, mm-hmm. which is kind of sad. They do your basic kids in horror movies thing. They have the uh, they go swimming, and Chris Hemsworth's character is brilliant in those scenes. <laughs> he's like, "There's something in the water. It looks just like my girlfriend." Shoves. He thro- throws her in there. He's like, "There's something else in the water. It's a gorgeous man." <laughs> Oh man, this movie's so good. Chris Hemsworth. He's there's a there's a scene that I'll get to, but Drew Goddard, the director, literally said that when they were shooting that, he goes, This kid's gonna be a star. I can just tell from this really? scene. Yeah. He's like, I can see he's got a star written all over him. Then later that night, they're all drinking, having a good time. They're playing Truth or Dare, but they only do it like for two. It's not like a full game of truth. It's just a truth or dare to get the plot going where Marty dares Jules to make out with that moose on the wall. It's actually a head, a, a wolf head. And they're like, you, have you ever seen the moose before, Marty? He goes, whatever that mysterious being is. <laughs> oh, crap. And like, he's so serious about it too. He's like, like, it's like some of the greatest acting because he's like so adamant about it too. Oh, yeah. This is a really weird trivia fact that I found, but I thought it was kind of funny. Is it about the sugar? It's about the sugar. The yep. wolf head had the tongue of the wolf head had powdered sugar on it a to make it look dusty to make it look like this cabin's old and has been around for a while without being cleaned but b they did it so that jules or anna hutchinson would not hate her life having to make out with it for take after take after take like it would be it would be tolerable for her if she's like man i'm kissing this fake wolf but it tastes sweet i guess (laughs) and you gotta make the experience better i guess i guess i mean that's that's an out-of-the-box way of making a scene tolerable i suppose good point for that it that's all that's a very bizarre scene because she doesn't just do it she also like walks up all seductive and she like talks to the wolf head and then when she's done like kurt holden and marty appear to all have the most awkward boners of their lives like obviously you don't see it but they're all just sitting there like oh yeah that was awesome and i'm like was it I'm, I'm, i'd be on the fence about that i 
I mean, I'd be like not awesome, like that was sexy, but awesome, like wow, she actually did it. Yeah. Oh yeah, I can see that, but never do it. But Kurt was just like all about it at that time. <laughs> He's like, this is great. Wow. <laughs> like my girlfriend's dancing all sexy on on different people and making out with a wolf. This is a great day. <laughs> Oh, Thor. This is where the movie hits like that extra that it starts to hit that next level for me when the basement door just kind of pops open. And of course, we have more fun things where Kurt's like, must have been the wind. And Marty's like, are you what? <laughs> what wind could have op- could have popped open the cellar door like that? And they, they go down and there's just all of these different artifacts, these different items. And that's a scene I would love to go over frame by frame and look at every single piece in there. Because as we learned, that's how they summon the monster that will kill them. Mm-hmm. There's so much cool stuff. There's the conch shell. There's the puzzle sphere. There's a necklace, film strips. The music box. Music box. And all this other stuff in the background we never even see, probably. and But they ended up on a diary the diary of patience buckner which dana has found and she's just reading it out loud my favorite part of that scene is at the end where she's like and the rest is in latin and mara's like okay i'm drawing a line in the fucking sand here do not read the latin (laughs) and you just hear this voice say read it read it out loud like really whispering it so of course because it's a horror movie they read the latin but i love that all of those dumb horror movie tropes this movie is literally telling you they don't just do that because that's what they would do in that situation they're literally being manipulated into it Mm -hmm. which i think is smart to do because if i saw latin in a creepy cabin basement i wouldn't be reading that i wouldn't be doing any of that stuff oh yeah it's i just the whole thing i just like that's when you start seeing marty's the only one who's aware of everything being so weird like you said the wind thing the latin later on when he mentioned something about splitting up like that's when you start to realize like marty may be like a pothead who's kind of like stoned out of his mind but he's woke yeah he, he gets it he knows what's up he knows the score all right i'm in two minds about this and we'll get into even more why i'm in two minds about this later but i'm in two minds about this scene as well on one hand i want i'd like to hear your thoughts on this too alex mm-hmm. on one hand i'm really glad that they didn't make any sequels prequels or spinoffs and this is a standalone film because i feel like that's a little bit i don't want to use the word prestigious because it seems kind of pretentious but it is it's it's like it's, it feels bigger because it's it wasn't watered down mm-hmm. with all these different other takes on it or other films that probably would have been worse in comparison on the other hand i want 30 sequels prequels and spinoffs to this movie i want movies about other creatures that they could have summoned i want to see what the stockholm situation looked like the japan situation the buenos aires one that they showed briefly on a screen i want to see what the situation looked like in the 90s or in the 80s maybe when it didn't have as much crazy technology in the facility i want to see everything i want if i could only watch cabin in the woods universe movies for the rest of my life i'd be satisfied so for two parts for my answer first I will not accept the sequel because for obvious reasons. The way yeah, that, I think they'd be prequels mostly. Yeah, just because like they mentioned, like apparently like someone brought it up during a Q&A, like, oh, is there going to be a sequel? And I think Drew Goddard was like, have you seen my movie? Yeah, have you seen um, the ending? But two, and this may just be my own thing, a lot of movies like this, they'll have, they'll be great movies, or when a sequel's made, they, for me, like, I don't like how they explore the world too much. Like they world build too much when it's better, if it's ambiguous. For example, The Matrix, love the first one. I didn't like the second two because I felt like they were trying too hard to build that world. Kingsman, 
Mm-hmm. The first one was great. The second one was still great, but they tried too hard to build like a universe. John Wick, I think they're going to do that with It Follows. Like they said, they're going to explore the origin of it. I feel like it's one of those movies that is better if they didn't flesh it out. I'd be fine with just what we have. Maybe they can make it work with a sequel by fleshing out like everything in the background. But just from what I've witnessed, I feel like they won't be able to do it justice. Yeah, I'm. that's the thing too. Like I totally get and I'm totally on board with everything you just said but at the same time i'm just like there's just so much to do in this universe that i'm just like part of me will always be sad that there's not more to it that there's not we don't get to see a film where someone uses the conch shell instead of the buckner diary or because um later on we hear that the ceremony has changed throughout time and even just in the american version i would like to see one where maybe the facility tries to force an older like they could succeed the ritual that worked in the 80s but it's in the 90s and it doesn't satisfy the ancient one well getting the spoilers now but it doesn't satisfy the ritual anymore because it's outdated or something now they have to rush to complete other aspects of it something like that you know what i mean and because it says it's different in every culture i would see some of those other cultures because i'm i've seen a lot of foreign horror movies but not enough to where i have perfectly pinned down what each region's horror movies are except maybe japan i guess yeah like oh i've seen a lot of norwegian horror movies that i think are really good but i still i've only seen like five or six i haven't seen enough to be like this is how norwegian horror movies work i haven't seen a deconstruction of their like i haven't seen their cabin in the woods Mm -hmm. where i couldn't tell you what their cabin in the woods would look like but i'd want to see it right right that'd be i could see them do it like they they tend to do that with a lot of movies like they'll make it's not exactly like a remake but like you said like the country's version they did like an indian version of the hangover stuff like that like you said like yeah. a deconstruction of each culture's view on the horror movie almost kind of like the cloverfield approach where it's here are very loosely related films but they're in the same universe kind of thing i guess more closely connected than the cloverfield movies so not quite as distant but also in that same vein where it's, they don't it's not like nightmare on elm street one nightmare on elm street two not that direct a correlation either right but anyway, that's just my that's my two cents. I'm also really fascinated by all the technology. Like I said, that's why I like to see a prequel where maybe they don't have the technology at hand because Jules, who was a brunette beforehand, has blonde hair in this film and they find out that they put chemicals in her hair dye to make her more the dumb blonde kind of sexually active character using chemicals in the hair dye or the how they manipulate Kurt and Jules in the next scene to go from, hey, we're just having a walk in the woods to, hey, here's pheromones and here's increased movement so you guys will do it and help satisfy satisfy the customer essentially mm-hmm. that would be pretty cool to see a version for the old hammer horror films mm. like how they would exactly do like a cabin of the woods there would it be like a lonely castle or something like that yeah it would be like a gothic story because they don't even because cabin of the woods movies weren't even like a thing back then exactly it was all about like you said like the gothic or like castles and or in the uh 80s it was all about supernatural slashers would they prominently feature seven different slasher calling cards in the cabin and try and use the subliminal messages to push it push them towards one of them and in the 90s they try and make a supernatural slasher work and it's the 90s so it doesn't so it doesn't work but it doesn't satisfy the ritual or something i feel like there's just enough there's a lot to play with in this universe Mm -hmm. we're missing one thing that 
I physically need to talk about because it's my it's literally one of my favorite things that have ever happened. Right before the kids pick the Buckners, they read the Latin out loud, summoning the Buckners. In the facility, we see that all of the people, all the employees of the facility are taking bets on a whiteboard of which animal they think or which monster they're, go- they're going to summon. And I just love that scene two pieces. <laughs> Everything about that. I love the whiteboard because I want to read some of my favorite stuff on the whiteboard. <clears throat> So there's your basic stuff like werewolves, mutants, wraiths, zombies. There's also reptilius. There's witches and sexy witches. Those are separated. There's angry molesting tree. Evil there's, dead. Yep. There's from the evil dead. There's a giant snake. There's the scarecrow folk. There's a dragon bat. Dismemberment goblins. Sugar plum fairy. There's Sasquatch slash Wendigo slash Yeti. There's a jack-o'-lantern. The one the Buckners are zombie redneck torture family, which is different from zombies, as we're told by a citizen. He's someone's like, wait, I had zombies too. And it was like, ah, oh, these that's zombie redneck torture family. It's like the difference between an elephant and an elephant seal. Totally different things. <laughs> and there's one that no one bets on, and that's Kevin. That's it. That's all we hear about him the entire movie. It's just Kevin. Kevin. It's brilliant. That whole scene is so cool. Where they're, you know, they're stacking the money about for all the bets. And they're like, let's get this party started. And upstairs, they're drinking. They're like, let's get this party started again. The thing about it is it's so quick. You'll never catch all that stuff unless you're either watching it on Netflix or you have a mm-hmm. DVD. They can pause it. Like, it's very quick. And you kind of get that. It's kind of satisfying at the end during that that scene where you see mm-hmm. everyone. But I'm not going to get ahead of myself. But Ugh. it would have been cool to have just a couple more seconds of like being able to see see those monsters. Like maybe like a, a slower pan across the board. Yeah. Uh, if you go on the Cabin in the Woods wiki page, page specifically for Cabin in the Woods, it has guesses on which items in the basement summon which monsters. And some of them are literally like, well, maybe this summons it. I don't know. Like, even they have no clue. <laughs> and Hadley, one of the two, one of our two guys we have been following in the facility, he has been banking on Merman for as long as he's been working there. And he's just so distressed afterwards because Kurt had the conch shell in his hands, which can summon the Merman and put it down to listen to Dana. Well, actually, he put it down. He puts it down to pick up the, I'm calling it a puzzle sphere. Yeah. It's, it's Hellraiser. Yeah. It's very, it's instead of layman configuration, which is a cube, it's a sphere now for this knockoff Hellraiser or knockoff pinhead, I should say. But he's just like, he had the conch in his hands, man. He's so and, upset uh, about it. And cit- citizens like, dude, be glad. Clean up on them is a nightmare. But they're <laughs> terrifying. There was one thing on the board that I noticed. So I saw one of the things on his dolls. And when I saw that, like my whole thing, when I was younger, until like I was like almost a teenager, I was terrified of Chucky. Like mm-hmm. dolls scared the hell out of me. So like when I finally saw Kevin in the Woods, I was like, oh, I would love to see their take on it. So that's what I thought it was when they when it said dolls. But you don't see it. I think yeah. I know roughly what that translates to. You kind of see the dolls, but you kind of don't. And we can explain that later on during the scene. Well, I'm pretty sure actually that the dolls are not actually that even though it says dolls on that, it's not actually dolls. Yeah, I looked at the wiki and apparently yeah. it's something it's, else. Uh, it's the strangers ripoff. Yeah, which kind of disappointing, but what can you do? I will say The Strangers is one of my least favorite horror movies. I really dislike The Strangers. Really? Yeah, well, there's 
All right, spoiler alert for The Strangers if you haven't seen it, but that one line at the end kills the whole movie for me. When they're like, why have you done this to us? And they're like, because you were home. And to some people, that was like, wow, random violence. That's terrifying. That's that's scarier than no reason at all. But I was like, no, no, give me a reason. (laughs) I, I sat here through an hour and a half. Give me a reason. And they didn't, and I was like, because it's also one of those things. It's like the green. Have you ever seen Green Room? Yeah, the the one with Patrick Stewart. Yes. Yep. It's a good movie, but I don't like the ending because it's it's not so much that they were that they didn't resolve something because you know the whole thing of I think I know my Desert Island band that whole recurring gag throughout yeah. the movie. It's not that they didn't resolve it; it's that they called attention to the fact that they're not going to resolve it. That makes me go like, "I'm done." <laughs> it's one thing to be like, "We're not going to answer that." Another thing to be like, "Check us out, not answering you." What? And I'm like, "You're not as fun as you think you are." I mean, I could go on about movies doing that. If you've ever seen the movie Nocturnal Animals, which isn't exactly a horror movie, mm-hmm. it I've heard of it. I've seen it. It drives me nuts, but that's for a different discussion. Yeah, uh, whenever that happens in a movie, I'm always like, "You're not fun." <laughs> So after that scene, we do get, like I said earlier, with manipulation of the characters, Jules and Kurt go walking off into the woods. And because of pheromones and stuff that they're pumping into the air, they get the two of them to have sex and the Jules take her shirt off. Or not even have sex, but just like about to have sex, which leads to two of my favorite moments from the facility as well one where (laughs) kurt's like come on we're all alone take your shirt off there's like 50 guys in the facility gawking at the screen (laughs) and then when she's like no and they're like oh man Harley's like get out of here your basic human needs disgust me (laughs) (laughs) and then later on when it happens when she does take her shirt off and it's just like the security guard hadley and citizen there had just it's just like in the dullest voice it's just like bingo you got it (laughs) It's like, nice, finally. And then right after we get like one of the first actual real scares of the movie, mm. which it was, it was a jump scare, but it was still, it wasn't like funny, at least not to me. It was kind of supposed to be scary. Like yeah. they were totally scary when the Buckners showed up. Yeah, the Buckners finally show up. And as I will say, the Buckners, I do think are a pretty, out of all the monsters that they had on the board. It's a very lame and not interesting out of all the options. But for this kind of movie where you're deconstructing horror movies to the nth degree, I think it makes sense to pick that sort of base level constant enemy of horror movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's I like this would have been a very, in, this would have been more fun if the merman showed up or if Kevin showed up or <laughs> if the giant snake showed up. But if you're going for, this is a deconstruction of horror movies at, at the lowest degree, like to the, we're digging down to the absolute bone, having these sort of family of zombies makes total sense. And one of the Buckners does have one of the absolute coolest weapons ever. He has half a bear trap attached to a chain. So So gnarly. And he just like swings it around and hucks it at people. It's grody. Badass. So Jules, because she is designated as the quote, whore character, end quote, she's the first one to bite it as is customary. She showed her her breasts and therefore must die because that's horror movie rules, unfortunately. That was one thing in Nightmare on Film Street I did want to bring up. Nightmare on Film Street, the episode where they talk about Cabin in the Woods, which I do find interesting. I find, and I know a lot of people also find horror, is a surprisingly progressive genre. It has a lot of strong female protagonists in 
more of their movies. There's a study done by this website called The Horror Honeys. It's an all-woman-run website talking about all different kinds of horror. Horror movies pass the Bechdel test mm-hmm. a shockingly high amount compared to regular movies. Compared to every sense. other kind of genre. Like, they're up there with female representation and strong characters and characters not just motivated to... Not just there to prop up a male character storyline. And yet, we still have this very old-fashioned sort of... I don't want to say dogmatic, but very baseline sexist kind of thing of well she showed her boobs therefore she deserves to die this like puritanical kind of trope Mm -hmm. i think at this point it's just kind of a running joke but still it's one of those things where if it's going to keep being progressive you should probably wean that out or just kill a couple i don't know kill a couple guys who get their dicks out (laughs) as the first killer as the first goner now you can't kill chris hemsworth first these are facts. Chris Samsworth is a smoke show. <laughs> Marty, again, has some more really funny lines where he thinks he's hearing stuff about puppeteers and stuff like that. He's getting really tripped down. He's like, I'm going to go read a book with, with pictures. pictures in it. <laughs> and, he's st- and he's reading some picture book and he's like, Nemo, you got to get out. This world is topsy-turvy, man. <laughs> And he hears the uh, the whispered voice again saying, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to go for a walk. And he's like, you think I'm going to do a little dance for you? I'm not. I'm going to go for a walk. <laughs> oh, Marty. Oh, he's so great. But he goes outside to take a, to take a whiz, it appears. And you see in the background, I believe Patience Buckner kind of creeping up behind. But before she can get there, Kurt shows up. He's like, we got to go. We got to go. And he absolutely clotheslines one of the Buckners. <laughs> brilliant he just decks decks them and they run into the house and lock the door kurt is like all right we gotta secure this whole building we gotta lock all the doors and stuff but we're gonna stick together no matter what and the facility people are like oh, oh that's yeah. not good oh there's another scene i want to touch on really quick there's the scene where marty is explaining to dana that it appears that things are gonna are being puppeteered kurt called holden an egghead he's like but marty's like he's a sociology major since when is he this alpha male jock type mm-hmm and you know, since when is Dana all like Jules? Like, no, that's yeah, that's what I meant. And since when is Jules like just throwing herself around, being all out there and stuff? She's not usually like that. Something about him is letting him see how things are different, how things are being manipulated in a certain way. And there's even a scene where Dana and Holden are making out, and Dana's like, "Oh well, I've never." And she's like, "Wait a minute, what? No, not never. <laughs> Why am I saying that?" Somehow these chemicals can literally just affect each one differently and put them on their own path towards filling their archetypes, mm-hmm. which is, is, is fascinating stuff. And then Marty makes comment on Holden's husband bulge. <laughs> That's the craziest cock block in not film, in world history. There's the thing in the diary that Dana reads where Patience is saying like his her brother does something and it gives him a quote husband's bulge but she's like but i don't get like that and then when they're making out marty walks by and goes he's got a husband's bulge and they're just like i'm done now such a dick oh man that's literally one of the most cringy lines i've ever heard like i never (laughs) want to hear that ever again (laughs) so they're all holed up in the cabin now the buckners have killed jules and they've thrown jules's head into the cabin but they're all together and they're all they're not gonna separate from each other because that's what smart people do and then one puff of gas later and kurt's like no we should split up that will cover more ground that way and marty's like what why where does that make sense where where does that make sense and once they're there they get locked in and it's basically as far as the facility is concerned they're like okay this is the end game for us now they're all locked in their separate rooms and the bucket's going to take them off one by one but i do like that they are very this group of teenagers is very resourceful or a group of college kids because they're probably like teenagers to early 20s probably like you're talking about 
what is the interrogation room mirror there for? It's just there so that later on in the movie, Holden can break it down and be like, okay, Dana, now we're not locked in separate separate anymore. Now we're together again. Mm-hmm. And then Marty finds the camera in the lamp. And they're ready to like Thorazine. I don't know what Thorazine is, but I know they're asking to pump it into his room. I'm pretty sure that's like super heavy knockout stuff. Like they're like, we want him basically dead and drooling so someone can just pick him off later. Before they can do that, one of the Buckners breaks through the window and grabs Marty and pulls him out, and he is thought to be dead. He has another great line, too, when he sees the camera, and he's like, I'm on a reality TV show. My parents are going to think I'm such a burnout. (laughs) He's literally the highlight of this film, except for one five-minute sequence, which is the greatest five minutes in film history. Mm -hmm. Mark my words. I know. Every time one of the characters dies, they pull a lever in the facility, which drains blood into this like stone tablet. And when they do that for Marty, it starts rumbling. There's like literally an earthquake. The facility takes that as like, oh, they're getting excited downstairs. They're really getting into this. But we know as later it will be shown. That's not the case. So they go down into the basement again. Dana and I always forget because he's the most bland character. Holden. 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 Holden and Dana are downstairs and one of the Buckners follows them, but they're able to literally hang him and stab him several times. So that Buckner is off the table for now. And they meet up with Kurt again and they're like, all right, we're going to get out of here. One thing I did not catch until literally the time I viewed it last night preparing for this podcast, another horror trope that they addressed completely. Dana has the knife in her hand that she just killed one of the Buckners with. One of the facility guys pushes a button and creates a mild electrical shock in the knife so that she'll drop it so she won't have a weapon later on. I never caught that. Yeah. Always in horror movies, you're like, why did you drop the weapon? Why didn't you take it with you so you could fend off more people later? In this one, they purposely were like, they shocked her so she wouldn't have it later. Huh. It's really sharp. Really surprised I never caught that. Yeah. It's a very small, very quick shot of just hit a button and then a little, and she drops it. Hmm. Right now, we're down to three people, and they make it to the RV, and they're like, we're going to drive out the way we came. And while while we're uh, on them in the RV, the scene cuts away to the Japanese schoolgirls, and we see Japan's ritual. I will spit out my Mountain Dew when you reminded me of that. I just remember because, like, the way they did it, it was such a weird, like, transition she had seen. Like, you see the handprint on the RV, so you know, oh, one of the Buckners is hiding in there. Yep. And then it, it cuts to the demon girl, the ring girl, whatever, getting exercised and then turned into a frog. And then, like, you hear the girl say, like, oh, what does the girl, little girl say? She says something like... The girl's like, whatever the spirit's name is, she's like, she will now live on in this peaceful frog. And they're all like, yay! And so she's just like, fuck you, fuck you. He gets so mad. That's my, one of my favorite scenes ever. He says he's, he's just like, all the girls. Swearing at these nine-year-olds. They're talking about how Japan, for the first time in this ritual, has failed. And they're like, how hard is it to kill nine-year-olds? I forget, do they show the other countries yet, or is that later? I think in this moment they do, they know that they're the only one left. The only one who hasn't succeeded in their ritual. And they show little clips, little tiny one-frame things of like, Stockholm failed, Buenos Aires failed. One of them is like an old style gothic on a like mansion on a hill, like fall the house of Usher style. One, there's like this giant beast slain on a you know stone wall or something. Yeah, it looks like a minotaur. Yeah, like a minotaur. Really, that's what I'm saying. There's so much out there that I'm just like, part of me is like, I'm glad that you didn't oversaturate it, but part of me wants you to saturate the hell out of this world. <laughs> I'm just like so torn about that. In the wiki, they call her Japanese floaty girl, by the way. That's creative. Yeah, named Kiko. 
excuse me, but in in parentheses, it's Japanese floaty girl. That's how she's credited in the uh, in the end credits. Like I said, that 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 whole scene, brilliant. It's magical. It's true though. How did this one spirit in a Japanese elementary school not get one fatality? How like how hard is it to kill nine year olds? Apparently, pretty difficult nowadays. Apparently pretty difficult these the kids are on it with their protection prayers and stuff good for them so north america at this point is the only scenario for a successful ritual and the rv is heading back for the uh mountain tunnel they look on the cameras and they realize that the cave-in has not happened they can still escape if they get there in time which is another cliche where it's like it always happens to be some kind of thing that isolates them that they find out later like in a very different movie but like in tremors how there's one path out of perfection nevada there are people drilling in that area and a graboid attacks them and just causes a giant rock slide that completely takes out that road similar to that so citizen sprints through the entire facility so that he can literally hotwire demolition and it happens right as the rv is in the mountain tunnel kurt has to throw it in reverse peel backwards to avoid being caught in a cave-in so this is um after they get out of like the mountain tunnel, like they escape it, and this is the scene that I brought up earlier that I wasn't too fond of, like, or earlier I wasn't fond of, like the revealing the the barrier. But I gotta say though, seeing that scene, like just the fact that it was Chris Hemsworth, he's so confident about, it. he's like, oh, I'm gonna make it over, I'm gonna save everyone. Like it's like the most like hopeful scene ever, and you think he's gonna make it, and then just crash. I, I thought it was hysterical, and then you just see him and his bike just crashing down, down into the abyss that's actually the scene where drew goddard was like this kid's gonna be a star really yeah that scene where he has that speech where he's like i'm gonna go get help i'm gonna get cops i'm gonna get choppers and big fucking guns <laughs> drew goddard was like this kid's going places and i, and <laughs> I, I agree to the pit <laughs> yeah and then just clank off of this invi- this like invisible force field that's keeping them in there one thing I will say that I am so unreasonably happy. Drew Goddard was not the original director they had in mind. He was one of the screenwriters, but he wasn't the director in mind. It took some coercion on Drew Goddard's part to get him to convince Joss Whedon to let him direct it. One of the directors in mind was Victor Salva Ooh. from Jeepers Creepers. Yeah, the sex offender. Yep, the sex offender. The awful, awful human being who you guys should... I would I would highly recommend not supporting because he's a horrible person. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad he did not direct this, so I can actually enjoy this. I'm really surprised. Like one, I'm surprised he's still getting work, but two, I'm surprised that they like almost went with him. I was listening to an episode of Boys and Ghouls, which is another podcast I love to listen to, and they were talking about Victor Salva and his awful thing, and they thought that one of the main reasons why his problems were like in the '80s. And he did go to jail for it. He didn't serve. Like, he got out early on parole. So he did, quote unquote, serve his time for it. But the reason why there was only a big stink on, like, the internet when Jeepers Creepers 3 was coming out was because Twitter wasn't really a thing. Mm-hmm. The internet wasn't really a thing during his last major film. So, and social media is the ultimate, you know, wildfire. Yeah. So there wasn't really that catalyst to sort of spread and sort of try and take him down and, like, not support his films. So... It wasn't seen as as big of a thing back then, unfortunately, because it's a horrible thing. Mm. And he's a, and he's a terrible person. Yep. I'm trying to remember what happens next. Ooh, this is another fun fact that I want to say really quickly. This will be more of a big thing later when we get to the third act. But the department in charge of, well, the effects department in charge of this film, the one that created great majority of the practical effects monster, which there are quite a lot, is 
AFX Studio, the co-owner and one of the people responsible for a lot of the makeup and monsters made in this costume, in this in this movie, I mean, is Heather Langenkamp, a.k.a. Nancy Thompson from the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Nice. How cool is that? I didn't know that's what she like did nowadays. I thought she yeah. was kind of retired. Yeah, she does effects. She did effects in Star Trek Into Darkness, Cabin in the Woods, some of the um, American Horror Story. Hmm. Oh, she's so great. I love her to pieces. <laughs> so... Now we are just down to Holden and Dana because Kurt took the tumble of a lifetime down into the abyss after hitting the force field. And Holden has is driving the RV and he's like, we're just going to drive through the other side. Who cares? But Dana has reached full all hope is lost stage because now she sees that everything Marty has said is absolutely true. There's puppeteers. They're arranging everything and they're not going to let us leave no matter what. And Holden's like, hey, how about you not give up because we're not dead yet but while he's giving that speech he gets he gets stabbed through the throat from behind by a buckner who is the quietest and most patient buckner of all time apparently <laughs> although it wasn't patience buckner so what are you gonna do but that, that buckner apparently was in that rv that whole time and just thought now was the right time to make a kill he's a very so, stealthy zombie redneck oh yeah so he's very very dead but because he's driving he drives off course because he's he's dying and he has no control over his bodily functions and he pilots the RV into the lake from earlier, and they are sinking into the abyss, and Dana's trying to escape, trying to swim back to the surface. Really cool shots in that scene, too, where she's, like, swimming to the top of this, like, green lake. But while that's happening, the facility is having an absolute party. They're like, we did it. Who cares? The virgin's death is optional. We did it. We have saved the entire world. Go us. I thought that was going to be the end of the movie, honestly, because they showed her getting like beaten up on the dock and then they play the music and pan out. I was like, wait, are they really going to end it like that? Yeah. Nope. There's still a whole another third of the movie left. And they're like, just playing music. There's some really funny things too. Like there's someone who's flirting and being really awful at it. Like he's talking to one girl. He's like, I heard you like the ballet. Well, I got two tickets to it. She just walks away and they're, oh, people are complimenting Hadley. They're like, wow, you did a great job. It's like, yeah, but it would be cooler with a merman. <laughs> and then uh, the end turn yeah oh ronald the intern is like i i i'm a new here i don't get overtime god so good and apparently one thing that's fun is during that celebration they're playing roll with the changes by reo speedwagon as dana is being attacked there's the lyric if you're tired of the same old story so i thought it was interesting one of those imdb facts for you one thing i didn't understand during that scene is right before like that jarring moment where it's like they talk about the de- demolishing the tunnel mm-hmm. and the citizens like, oh, you messed up. And they're like, oh, no, we got rerouted from upstairs or something like that. Like, I didn't understand that. Like, what did that all mean? Yeah, I feel like there was something to do with because right after that, they got a phone call. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that's from upstairs. So that I feel like because she knows something that they don't know. I can't blow the tunnel until certain things have happened. And one thing that they thought had happened had not happened. You know what I mean? So, okay, I think I know what you're saying. Like, they didn't want to blow the tunnel. They didn't want to risk killing the last three people because another person hadn't really died. Yeah. It was a thing where, because they get the phone call on the big red phone. Hadley walks over to where the music stops. Everyone shuts up. And he just whispers into the phone and they're like, no, but we we did everything we want. We did by the book. Everything's fine. And then he just turns to the screen and he goes, which one? Like someone had survived. Dana, meanwhile, is fighting for her life with bear trap on a chainsaw, on a chain. 
the the Jason Voorhees type, the very large, bulky Buckner. And as he's lassoing, he's swinging his bear trap over his head. And right then, it gets caught on something. And he turned back, and it's the coffee mug bong. And there is Marty, who just kind of throws the Buckner up to the side. And it's like, Marty, he's like, hey. Big damn hero moment. Oh, it's so cool coming to save the day and that's when that's when the movie really starts to pick up and i'll admit the first time i watched it and i didn't realize like what kind of movie it was the first time i saw it i thought it was supposed to be like a legit horror movie Mm -hmm. i didn't realize it was a deconstruction so like this is where the movie kind of lost me the first time i watched it but then like once we got into the facility i was like oh okay i i think i think i'm liking this again Mm. another fun fact i don't know if you ever played left for dead i have not but i do know that there was some kind of connection between the, the movie and the game yeah, they were essentially going to make a level based on Cabin in the Woods. It would have been like the camp, like the the cabin, and then mm-hmm. you make your way down to the facility, which I thought was actually been kind of interesting. I haven't played Left 4 Dead, but if that was a thing, I would have been playing Left 4 Dead. <laughs> but yeah, that's such a cool, he has that hero's entrance scene with his, apparently the bong mug thing that he has is both functional as a bong and as a coffee mug. It's fully functional, which is just blows my mind. I'm surprised they didn't mass market them. Oh yeah, that's that scene at the beginning where he's like, he has the huge bong and he's like, you're not taking that on your dad's RV. He just starts collapsing it into a coffee mug and he's like, a giant bong on your dad's RV? What are you, stoned? Brilliant. This whole, oh my God, Marty is like one of the best horror movie characters period i've ever seen he's so good so marty has discovered through his i mean while he's away he's been discovering that the buckners were sent to them in an elevator he has the line too where there's these zombie parts he's like i had to disembowel that guy with a trowel what have you been up to (laughs) so he's killed one of the buckners brutally and he's like i think i can make this elevator go down and then it's like do we want to do that and she's and he's like where else are we gonna go so like all right fine we get in the elevator and this is the part where the movie hit goes from this is pretty darn good for me to this is one of the best things i've ever seen in my life so they're in the elevator and they start being they start shifting around they get put next to another elevator where there's a werewolf and there's one where a ghost a wraith i believe it's the proper term for it then they see sugar plum fairy the sugar plum fairy so cool and then uh christopher fairy which is just a ballerina with a face that's just all like teeth so freaky and the hell lord who is pinhead basically but he has circular saws his proper name fornicus fornicus the lord of bondage and sex i believe is his full name and when i saw him i thought he was christopher lloyd like he just he looks like him i think a little bit they did a very good job of emulating pinhead without it being pinhead Mm -hmm. like the circular saws obviously tell you and the weird latex suit clearly tell you who it's supposed to be but also he just has that really serious dead look on his eyes that he just nails it sorry fornicus lord of bondage and pain is his name and he is holding the puzzle sphere which is when dana puts together that they were put down in the basement to choose how they would die that's how she figures it out she's like i see because i saw kurt holding that sphere earlier so if he had clicked on that enough times or turned it around and saw whatever puzzle we would have just had to deal with him instead of 
the Buckners. Mm-hmm. That's when she starts losing it. And the people in the facility are going nuts because they have lost the two of them. They need to kill the fool without killing the virgin first. Otherwise, this whole thing goes to hell. So they find her. They find them on one of the elevator cameras and they bring them down to the main facility. So finally, our two characters, our two situations have converged. The characters from the cabin in the woods are in the facility. They send one guard with a pistol to meet them, which... We do see they have much more than that, so I don't know why that was all they sent, but we wouldn't have the best five minutes of movie history if they didn't, so I'm fine with it. (laughs) One of the zombie arm bits that has fallen into the elevator when they stepped in grabs him by the foot, and they use that moment to knock him out, take his gun, and escape. And one of the funniest scenes, as the elevator's closing, you just see the zombie hand crawling up to the guy's face. It's just like, what are you going to do? What's your end game here, walking hand? (laughs) And we hear, for the first time we hear of, we heard the name the director several times. We haven't seen or heard anything. This is the first time we ever hear of the director. Basically, she says, I know you've seen some crazy stuff, but it's not anything close to what'll happen if one of you doesn't die. So let us do that. And they're like, nah, B. (laughs) But they get pushed back into a control room by a dozen people with machine guns, which, like I said, that should have been the opening move. Yeah. We should have met them at the elevator with that. But they're in the control room, which, funnily enough, has a button called System Purge. Again, I don't know why you build that. <laughs> it's like how in Dexter's laboratory, if Dexter's so smart, how come all of his inventions can be destroyed by pressing one button? You would think that he would be like, so, DD presses my self-destruct button every time. Maybe I should make it a switch or make it a, a code or something. Maybe no. uh, Dexter designed the laboratory. The facility. Maybe he did. So there's a system purge and button, and Dana hits it, and she has, has that line that has been repeated twice, right? It's just, let's get this party started, and just smacks the system purge button. And this right here, for my money, is the greatest five minutes in film history. You just hear a bunch of, like, whirring mechanical sounds, and then you just, they just all stop, and one of the soldiers goes, ah, shit. And all the elevator buttons go ding, and open up, and just monsters come flying in the scene, just tearing apart everything in sight it's so glorious it's another one of those scenes that i wish was just like a few seconds longer because i would like it's a scene i have to like rewind constantly because i have to like catch like a new detail like the two like there these two like flying goblins that tear a guy apart yep. there's the, the the tree obviously the snake it's it's like well yeah you just gotta you gotta rewatch and you'll always find something new oh yeah the Snake is one of my favorites, too. It's There's this movie, a really bad movie, so maybe don't watch this one, but called King Cobra, and it's literally the same snake from King Cobra, where it's a 30-foot cobra. The King Cobra like crown, I guess you could call it, the wider neck mm-hmm. is, is detractable, and it also has a rattlesnake's rattler. It's, so it's the exact same snake from that movie, but mm-hmm. it just has so many cool moments of just like snatching some dude up for, and just like swallowing them whole and stuff. I love like just the next couple minutes throughout the facility, seeing the different creatures, like the unicorn, the killer clown. The unicorn um, is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Just because like it's not what you'd expect and just, <laughs> just gore someone. Gore someone. I like the... It's this thing, I, I think it's from like a Japanese movie. It's like a robotic spider with a saw on its tail. Yeah. You see like going down the steps after someone. The first time I saw this film was at a theater down the street from me called uh, Patriot Cinema. It's a weird theater because 
it features movies. It's not even called that anymore, but it features movies that have been out for a few months. Like right between the time when a movie is in a theaters and it's on DVD, it'll be there and tickets for like two bucks. Great deal. But I went there and I was like, I think I was like one of two people in the theater. <laughs> when that scene hit, my jaw hit the floor and didn't pop back up till the movie was over. <laughs> like I was just sitting there just having this movie wash over me. And I'm like, this is one of the best feelings I've ever had in my life. Because <laughs> like I said, there's a hundred, like all those situations where I looked at the board and I saw those other creatures and I'm like, oh man, I kind of wanted to see that instead of these, instead of the Buckners. Well, most of those characters you do get in this scene. You get the dragon bat going nuts. You get a snake eating people. You get the dolls tying people up. You get um, the angry molesting tree shows up. The scarecrows. The scarecrows, the werewolf, the tarantula, kraken. The, there was like the evil doctors. Yeah, all oh, the doctors are so freaky. Yeah, with their eyes cut out. Yeah, and it's all showed up and stuff. Yeah. Oh. There's a guy, he's like, you see him for a brief second, he's like crawling on the wall and his face is like re-stitched upside down. Yeah, oh, it's so freaky. The clown has that eerie, awful laugh and the person's just like shooting at the clown over and over again, it's doing nothing. And she doesn't turn the gun on herself at all. She's just like shooting and shooting and shooting and then the clown comes up with the knife. Another thing I didn't even recognize until last night, there's one character who is just kind of... uh, slowly slowly walking towards one of the guards and she's singing hush little baby to him so freaky and i love too how the zombies are just constantly there you never see them killing anyone you never see them doing anything impressive they're just constantly just there it's great just seeing just seeing all them come together finally oh it's, it's literally sensory overload of horror movies Going back slightly, when you first saw them, like in the the pens, like all over the place, yeah. you could see the two girls from The Shining. Yeah, there's also a one of them is just a cat, a really big cat. In a, oh, okay. Yeah, there's I scoured the Cabin in the Woods wiki last night, and there's a whole list. Let's see, because there's monsters that appear on the board. There's the monsters that are seen in the film and behind the scenes, but not seen on the board. Like uh, Cow Skull Giant is one of them. Face Peeler, Four-Legged Saddle Creature, Garden Gnome Boy, Gladiator Demon, Man in Transparent Tarp, Pterodactyls, Slimy Horned Cloak Creature, The Undead Warmonger, and then there's some only that appear in the novelization, which is written by Tim Levin, including Crack-Skinned Lava People, Dog with Alligator Head, Exploding Shard Babies, Four-Eyed Creature with a Mouth like a Sea Creatures, Man with Steaming Pipes in His Chest, Jesus, Snake Pubic Hair Woman, Oh my god, is that like Medusa? <laughs> yeah, but instead of on her head, it's her pubic hair, apparently. <gasps> uh, woman with a toothed, toothed vagina from uh, mm-hmm. teeth. Monsters that appear in the visual companion, like a uh, shark-like creature, the exterminator, the witchcrafter. There's so many. Jeez. It's an endless barrage of monsters, and it's glorious. And the facility, the, the three people, Hadley, Citizen, and the one woman who's in charge of the chemical department, they're like holding up in the fort. The security guard gets killed by uh, scarecrows. He, as they're like tearing him up, he pulls a grenade pin, so he takes them all with him. The woman gets killed by a kraken tentacle coming in. And one of the best scenes is Hadley gets knocked to the ground by the grenade explosion. He just hears like this uh, pounding sound on the mat, and this squishy sound. And he turns, and there's the merman. He's just like, oh, come on. 
I didn't know that was the merman when I first it's saw. I didn't realize yeah. it wasn't until after they showed the blowhole and the blood coming out. Yep. That's when I found. I was like, oh, it's the merman. What's well, really a fun bit of layering that scene where the, the merman is blowing out blood was one nine-minute shot that they only used the last twelve seconds of or four seconds of whatever it was. The reason being is because of how much cleanup would be required to do it over and over again. Mm-hmm. So it did one long take. And what was brilliant is, right at the beginning of the movie, Citizen tells Hadley, oh, you don't want a merman. Clean up some nightmare on them. And I, it was true. Nice. Clever. It's, it's so clever. They, really, they clevered that. But yeah, so Dana and Marty kind of just hide out for the first wave of monster attacks. And they end up running away from the dragon bat, which is really cool looking. So after the best sequence in film it's like that and the beats anything in citizen kane it beats the four minute intro to a touch of evil i think it's a touch of evil and eh, whatever it beats everything marty and dana end up accidentally killing citizen because apparently dana's running around with the knife extended in front of her and kills him <laughs> and they reach the ritual chamber where the stone carvings of all of them are waiting the ones that they've been pouring the blood in whenever anyone that have been killed and they meet the director who is played by Sigourney Weaver, which if you need someone in charge of making sure the world doesn't end, I would hire Sigourney Weaver in real life. So that's perfect casting. I would have preferred Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis was the other person. Yeah. She was what? Jamie Lee Curtis was the person, other person considered for the role. She would have, I think she would have been perfect, but Sigourney Weaver was still pretty great. Yeah. I feel like either one of them, if you, if you told me in real life, Jamie Lee Curtis or Sigourney Weaver were in charge of keeping the world from ending, I'm like, okay, I have no worries. They've got this. They're awesome. But I saw that and I was like, Jamie Lee Curtis was also considered for that role. And I'm like, either one, I'm fine with those. (laughs) What I love too, because I'm a werewolf guy. I love werewolves. So seeing the werewolf featured so heavily in the monster scenes was really happy, was really cool for me. But what I also liked is Sigourney Weaver. Like, there's a a trivia fact where it said Joss was really excited to work with Sigourney Weaver again. And Sigourney Weaver, in turn, was excited to be involved in a movie with a werewolf, finally. So she's into werewolves, too. So she basically explains the whole principle of the film, which is uh, four people need to die. The, the, The whore, the jock, the scholar, and the fool. And then the virgin is optional as long as it's last in order to placate the ancient gods from destroying the entire planet. All the other rituals have failed. So if Marty does not die in before sunrise, then the whole world's going to end. Dana, when she first hears this, is like, I should probably kill Marty. It seems like a reasonable thing to do. But because she does that, Marty does not tell her that the werewolf has arrived and attacks her. Fair enough, I suppose. <laughs> so then Sigourney Weaver, the director, and Marty fight for a while. Marty gets the gun from Dana and shoots away off to save her. To save her, because doesn't want her to die. He just wants to be like he just wants to not die himself. Yeah. And now Dana gets to be a werewolf. Awesome. For all of two seconds. Two seconds. And while Marty and Dana are fighting, Patience Buckner, who was the last person to make it out of the elevators, she comes down. She apparently she has like a homing beacon <laughs> for where the plot needs her to be, and she walks up. And axes Sigourney Weaver in the back of the head. Marty tosses both her and Pates over the edge to where they will go right down to the ancient one and both be dead. Which leads to one of my favorite lines in cinema, which is when Marty tells Dana, "Sorry, I let you get attacked by a werewolf and ended the world." <laughs> that's yep. That's about right. I don't think Kurt even has a cousin. <laughs> brilliant! It's brilliant. 
little sit there sharing one of Marty's joints. And he's like, giant evil gods. Wish I could have seen them. That would have been a fun weekend. And they're just like nonchalant. Just like, you know what? If we need to kill people every year to save the world, maybe we don't need to save the world at all. Maybe we can just let it die. Which is a bit selfish. Not going to lie. Yeah, it was kind of like, let's give someone else a try or something like that. Yeah, let's give someone else a try. Like, dude, you're letting the whole world end. Like, Yeah, you're both going to die in two minutes. Or one of you will die and the rest of the world. Like, I'm not going to lie. If I were Dana, I would have killed Marty. Oh, I think I would have too. If I was Marty, I would have done myself like listen you're not getting out of this alive yeah might as well save the world yeah i probably would have tried to die from the werewolf too just because you know <laughs> if i'm gonna die i might as well be fighting something cool or sigourney weaver that's that's top that's top 10 way to die yeah but they don't they just kind of sit there and wait for the ancient ones to rise and we just see a giant hand rise from the sky crash th- through the facility crash through the cabin and reach for the camera and that's the end of the movie the end of the world I mean, that's a great way to certify that there's never going to be a sequel. Right. Because as you said, someone on a panel asked Drew Goddard, is there ever going to be a Cabin in the Woods sequel? And he's like, have you seen the ending, Cabin in the Woods? No, there's not. It's uh, the world's ended. Only way I can think of a sequel is if they like, if I hate to say it, but like somehow they stop the end of the world or they do something. I don't know. It like... I can't see them doing a sequel that would still be in the same spirit of this so, one. It could be a completely different kind of movie. I thought when I first watched it, I thought there was no way they were going to end with the end of the world. I thought when he kicked Patience and Sigourney Weaver off the edge, that somehow that would count as the fool. One of those two would count. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, oh, we did it. Great. Or any of the hundreds of people who were killed in the facility would have counted. Yeah. But apparently nope. the gods are very specific. And what I like about this movie, too, there's one there's one thing. I'm, if I'm going to get deep here for a second, what I love about this is, like I said, it's a deconstruction of horror movies. So the facility is kind of like us, the viewer. Yep. Because they're like what we want. But it's also the ancient ones are also like all three levels are kind of us, the viewer, where the people involved in the situation, where the people watching the horror movie and wanting certain things to happen. But we're also the ancient ones who are going to rage when we don't get what we want. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, go on the internet and talk about any movie ever, and you're going to see some people raging that it wasn't what they wanted or didn't do A, B, and C, and they'll just conjure a storm of anger, just like the ancient ones at the end of this movie. It's like, it's such impressive layering in this movie. Mm-hmm. And Nightmare on Film they even compared the security guard as, which I thought was a great comparison. They're like, he's kind of like the non-horror fan you drag to see a horror movie. And so when the people are dying, we're like, yes, awesome. He's like, should we be saying yes, awesome about this? And, he's, and we're all like, shut up. It's fine. It's great. It's fun. <laughs> get in the spirit, man. Good times. Not really watch it. When I was reading through the monster stuff, I was like, I want to rewatch it again, even though I just watched it a couple hours ago. Even though I don't see it, I don't sit down and watch it beginning to end frequently. I do go online and watch that elevator scene <laughs> because it's the most satisfying. It's the most satisfied I've ever been watching a film. Like I said, it's sensory overload, but it's also like a warm blanket of horror. <laughs> just wrapping me up and i'm like yes thank you for this and we'll probably never see something like that again nope because they're probably not making a spinoff or a sequel or anything like that for the best yeah i know but i still want it that's also something that is a plus to say to this movie that i left it totally satisfied but also wanting more mm-hmm. like how many films can you say that about yeah i feel like it just didn't get enough attention kevin the woods like i, I think it should have been way more popular 
it's uh, it went through a lot of developmental problems because it was made in MGM when they when they kind of I forget if they went out of business or, the, or if they just said we can't make movies anymore because we don't have a lot of money. Drew Goddard and Joss Whedon were like for two years they had a finished film but no one to distribute it and they were kind of like we're kind of screwed. But Lionsgate saw it and they're like yes we love it we want more of it give it to us we will distribute it now and they're like oh crap okay cool. <laughs> So Lionsgate, thank you so much for saving this movie and releasing it because this is everything I've ever wanted. Apparently, too, because Alex, you're a writer. You want to be really jealous? Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard wrote this script in three days. That just makes me upset. Yeah, doesn't it? I'm angry about that. Well, I remember reading how like John Hughes wrote Breakfast Club in two days. I'm like, how do you do that? How do you just sit down and just like sit straight through and just create a script like that? Like... Me, it takes at least a week, and that's like leave, come back to it, like all that. Yeah, it takes me considerably longer because I am a procrastinator and I'm bad at things. Yeah, I'm lazy, crazy. but at least with this one, there were two people and they locked themselves in a hotel room for a, like a long weekend, and they're like, "We're not leaving until we finish this." Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. John Hughes by himself writing one in two days, you're a jerk. <laughs> But yeah, that's Cabin in the Woods, guys. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. I love it to pieces, and I want to watch it again right now because of how much I love it. Even without the facility stuff, the kids, Dana, Kurt, Marty, and Jules, and Holden to a lesser extent, they're all fun, interesting characters who I enjoy seeing on screen. The Buckners are not the most interesting of villains, but they still make a formidable and fun villain. Even if this was just played straight up as a regular horror movie, I think it'd be really good. But the faculty stuff takes it to a whole another level. It takes it to one of my favorite things ever because it's so spot on in its horror movie analysis and it's responsible for the best scene ever. Any final thoughts, Alex? No. I mean, I think we hit everything. Great, great movie. And I definitely want to watch it like every day of the month of October. October is coming and it's just... I don't go to the movies a lot, but there's like six movies coming up that I need to see in theaters and I'm just... I mean, I I have like all my superhero movies I want to see, but I really, really, really want to see Halloween. I want to see Halloween more than anything. I want to see Venom. I want to see Goosebumps 2, Haunted Halloween. I want to see Drew Goddard, the director of this movie, his his next movie, October 12th. It's not the the house with the clock in its walls, is it? No, 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 no. Bad Times at the El Royale. Never heard of that. Oh, look up the trailer. It's really good. It's really good. Chris Hemsworth is actually in that as well, I believe. (laughs) That movie's coming out on the 12th, which looks so cool. So I'm looking forward to his next movie, especially with Cabin in the Woods being as great as it is. And that's just one of like seven movies I need to see this Halloween season. It's gearing up. It's Halloween time, guys. I'm excited. I know you guys are excited. It's it's a spooky time. So that was our birthday special episode of Cabin in the Woods because it's both of our birthdays. So if you want to say happy birthday to Alex, Alex, where can we find you on the social medias? You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at RealityWrites, R-E-A-L-E-W-R-I-T-E-S. And he's also got himself some books, so check those out. They're pretty dope. And if you want to say happy birthday to me, you can catch me on the gram at Professional Horror. <laughs> Remember that really well. <laughs> or if you want to say hi, suggest an episode, say literally anything, email me at professionalhorror at gmail.com. And be sure to give this podcast, I'm going to say give us a thumbs up, like, comment, subscribe. That's not how this works. This is a podcast. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast on iTunes, please, five stars. And I'll leave a review because they make me feel warm and fuzzy inside. I actually have one, which I keep forgetting to mention. 
in my episodes, so I'm going to do it now. Someone left a, a very kind review. Jim Hyde, he left a review saying, professional horror, the one you can't overlook. No one is more professional and more horrible than Chris Donovan. Or, um, no one is more professionally horrible. Hold on. No one has a great appreciation for the wide range of horror and film in general than Chris Donovan. He's seen it all from the good to the absolutely how'd you sit through that, but hey, you did. And he's got a solid opinion about all of it. You don't want to miss this podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. It makes me feel all cozy inside. So leave a review so I can mention you on the podcast and feel happy about myself. <laughs> I'm going to try and have a lot of episodes out for you guys in October because it is Halloween. It is the spooky times. But until then, I'll catch you guys next time and stay scary, but keep it professional.